Time is more valuable than money because you can get more money, but you cannot get more time. And today we're interviewing my good friend, Maddie Tavares, who was able to manage her time while working a job through a part-time coding bootcamp called Pursuit that led to an apprenticeship and a full-time offer as a software engineer at Pinterest. During this episode, we referred to Pursuit as Coalition for Queens because Coalition for Queens has recently been rebranded as Pursuit. If you want to learn how to code through a coding bootcamp part-time or full-time, make sure you go to breakingstars.com slash webinar, or you can actually meet Maddie in person at Slack headquarters at our event where we're partnered with Women Who Code, uh, and she'll be hosting a workshop. No worries if you cannot join the other 200 people that are going to be there. We'll make sure that you get the video footage. But what's important to know is that time management is one of the greatest challenges faced by anybody that's trying to learn how to code. And not only will Maddie break down strategies for how to handle that, but she's also going to go in on her background as a Dominican. She's going to talk about uh, her leadership in the community and partnership with influencers like Eva Longoria. And if you're currently in the time management struggle, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. And as you're listening to this episode and writing down all the jewels that Maddie shares, I want you all to strap in, get ready for takeoff. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arthur and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can we please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so it's 8 a.m. on a Friday morning. And today we're recording out of Pinterest. Even though it's early, we actually live right behind the Pinterest building. That's where we live and that's where we work. That's where the Career Karma headquarters is based out of. Today, we have a very special guest, really cool story, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, we're here with the force within the Latinx community representing the Dominican Republic. Her name is Maddie Tavares, who is a, an Android engineer at Pinterest. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about her upbringing. We're going to talk about mentorship and how she learned how to code. But before going into all of that, I mean, the work that she's done in the community, let's just say welcome, Maddie. Hi, guys. I'm really excited to be here today. Welcome, welcome. We welcome. are really excited to be here with you, too. You know, Pinterest is a huge company. I mean, so can you talk to the people and explain like what Pinterest is for the people that don't know and then what an engineer does on the Pinterest team? Yeah, cool. So Pinterest, I think our tagline is like a place for you to discover and do what you love. So some people think of us as like a bookmarking tool or a discovery tool. So basically, you can come on Pinterest and find ideas for anything in your life. So let's say you want to plan a party or a wedding or something. You can see how millions of other people have done it. And then you can build a board, a mood board where you can kind of bring your idea to life and yeah. like have some examples of what you're trying to do. Uh, if you're an artist, you might come here to Pinterest to get some inspiration on our app to find different images that like inspire you <laughs> to... Yeah create something new. A lot of people also use Pinterest for their lesson plans, for like coming up with new lesson plans for teaching. So a lot of teacher, teachers use Pinterest to like find ideas for their students and yeah. new things to work on in class. Yeah, no, there's a lot of use cases. I, I definitely use Pinterest boards to organize a lot of things, including like crazy ideas like underground tunnels on your house or like clothing outfits and things like that. And so are you the person that helps like with searching and like stuff like that to, to make all this work? Or how does, how are these boards created on the engineering side? Yeah. So I actually don't work on search exactly. I've worked on a lot of different parts of the app while mm -hmm. I've been here. Search is not one of them. We have like a dedicated search team. Mm -hmm. So we actually have like a backend team that works okay. on all of the search stuff. So I work on the Android side. So anything that you see when you open up our Android app or anything that you see maybe when you open up our iOS app, just all the visual stuff on there, the front end stuff. There are other teams that work on like making search possible. So once you actually put in the search query into like the search bar, 
and you press the enter button, we send that information over to our backend team or like mm-hmm. our backend code, and they will go ahead and figure out where that information that you're looking for lives and they'll figure out what to return to you. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, since we live near Pinterest, there's literally like three buildings around us. For a lot of consumers of apps like Pinterest, Instagram, I don't think people realize the scale of how big these companies are and how many people work here. Can you just kind of describe like the size of the company and what other roles are there besides engineering? Yeah. So people are really surprised when I tell them how big Pinterest is because... You know, it's just an app or a website, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I think currently we have like 1,700 people working wow. with us. I could be more because we also have contractors, but we have a team of 600 engineers, which wow. is what really surprises people. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we built a lot of our own internal tools that we use. So there are a lot of people just working on tools that engineers use to build the app. And mm-hmm. we have cloud engineers. We have client-side engineers, back-end engineers, and we have a ton of machine learning engineers. Yeah. So there are all these departments. I don't even know all of them. I know like the ones I've worked with before and the ones that are mentioned all of the time. But yeah, so we have all of these teams and they serve a very specific like purpose. And we're like really grateful that we get to have all of these people here because you know, they get, everybody gets to focus on what they're good at. Yeah. And there's all kinds of roles like sales departments yeah. and business and data marketing. and stuff like that. Yeah. Marketing, product management, product management. And something else that's interesting about Pinterest is that you all also have apprenticeships. So a lot, a lot of the listeners of the podcast are, are learning how to code or trying to break into tech, but they don't know which companies are offering internships or apprenticeships. Can you talk about the apprenticeship at Pinterest since you were an apprentice here? And like what the difference is between the internship and the apprenticeship. Yeah, cool. So the apprenticeship program is really interesting. So it's actually a program for people from non-traditional tech backgrounds. Okay. It was kind of started by this woman. Her name is Abby Maldonado. She's still with the company. Okay. She was kind of the visionary for the program. And she wanted to find pathways for people who didn't have a CS degree or who were returning to the workforce, people like mothers, for them to find a way into tech. So she created the program and I was part of the first class. So oh, we wow. Were, yeah. That's so we, <laughs> we were the guinea pigs. We were, they were trying to figure out whether it was going to work and yeah. if it did work, how was it going to work? And honestly, it's been awesome for the company because yeah. they get like amazing, talented people that they wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah. Just through this program, it's a huge pipeline. So when I started the program, it was actually just three of us and we were all from New York. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really really cool it was a really cool opportunity it was really unique there weren't that many apprenticeship programs in silicon valley or in tech at all like a lot of people have actually taken our model and shift and transformed it to make it work for their company yeah. so now like a lot of companies have them like linkedin spotify twilio has one lyft has one airbnb i think is working on one or already has one so yeah. a lot of people have these apprenticeship programs and now we actually have a class of 10 people that just wow, came in. that's amazing. So yeah. imitation is the best form of flattery. And I, I think that, um, you know, you mentioned Maldonado is, is Abby Latina too? She's half Latina, yes. Okay, Latina <laughs> gang out here representing big. And you mentioned like New York. And so like, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing? I think you're, you're born in Washington Heights. Can you describe Washington Heights for the people that don't know what the environment is like in Washington Heights? And then we can kind of talk a little bit about how you got interested in Yeah, cool. So Washington Heights. Washington Heights is a predominantly Dominican neighborhood. A lot of people don't speak English there because Mm. you can just speak Spanish and get by. It's like little Dominican Republic. (laughs) (laughs) I like to say if you can think of like little Italy as like, Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Washington Heights is like that kind of place. I grew up in a single parent household. So my mom was a single mother. She worked all the time. So She'd get home around nine and then we have like a quick dinner and go to bed. I think so. Washington Heights isn't like a lot of places that most people know. Yeah. A lot of people there don't have college degrees. Yeah. So there is like kind of a lack of role models there for young kids to look up to. Yeah. There aren't as now there are more opportunities because the mayors have started to really invest in that neighborhood. And, and now even a tech program is launching. Oh wow! But yeah, so yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah. And so and so like and, speaking uh, of role yeah, models, and speaking of New York, Arthur and I grew up in Queens, 
We grew up in Jackson Heights, which is a very predominantly immigrant part of town. So you have people from Dominican Republic, Ukraine, from uh, Colombia, India, all kinds of nationalities. And I think to your point, out there, people are just like struggling to survive. They work for industries like maybe in Manhattan. So in, in the night, a lot of people who cannot afford to live in Manhattan, they'll find cheaper places to live in other boroughs or in other parts of the city. So it tends to be that a lot of the service workers tend to work in the city, but then they tend to live out there. So as a kid, there's probably not a lot of role models. So how did you, what did you figure out or how did you figure out like where you wanted to go to college or what you wanted to do in life? Like who who were the role models for that neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the role models for our neighborhoods were like one celebrities and like, you know, baseball players and actresses. The other set of role models that were really close to home were like teachers. Right. So teachers were like kind of who you could look up to and who you could ask questions about college and like their life outside of Washington Heights and what they had experienced and like why they chose to become a teacher. And like actually teachers were really good references because you could also ask them what their siblings were up to (laughs) and like kind of get more ideas of what to do with your life from like knowing that if you like really took the time out to get to know your teachers. So I didn't really know that I wanted to go to college. Um, till like my junior year of high school. So I took the pre-SAT. I did really well on it. I think the teachers get the scores first. Mm -hmm. So one day, like my teachers were all like freaking out, like, oh my God, you have to go to college. (laughs) And I didn't know why, (laughs) but like my class knew why. So when I walked into class, everybody was like, oh, Maddie's going to college, even though I hadn't (laughs) like applied and I hadn't thought about it. But then my teacher like announced like, oh, she scored very well on the pre-SAT and like we're going to help her like go to college. So I didn't apply to that many schools. I didn't have like a real dream school or anything. Yeah, I kind of applied to the schools my teachers told me to apply to. And four of those were like SUNY, State University of New York, public schools. Mm -hmm. And two of them, no, three of them were like the top ones at the time. And I took the SAT. I had the highest score in my class. And that was really awesome because it just opened up the door like to opportunities that I never knew about or like even considered. And so I got into Binghamton, which at the time was the number one public school in the SUNY school system. Awesome. And I thought I wanted to go to another school, but my teachers were like, no, you have to go to like Binghamton. Like that, that's the school for you. You're going to meet like amazing people there. You're going to have so many opportunities afterwards. So that's kind of how my path went. I, I just went ahead and went to Binghamton. Yeah. How did, how did you go about choosing your major? Okay. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are like, what? When I tell them this, they're kind of surprised. But I, so I went to Binghamton and I took a few general education courses. Economics was one of them. I hadn't really thought about majoring in economics. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this class is fun. I really like problem solving. Yeah. I'm not like huge on math, but yeah. I, I like problem solving. Like yeah. I, I really like just setting like making a plan for solving a problem so i really enjoyed economics but i i didn't consider majoring in that at all before my financial aid counselor was like hey you need to pick a major if you want to like keep your financial aid yeah (laughs) and i was like oh okay it's that time already but i don't know what i want to do with my life like i have no idea but then i went online and i just searched like which majors offer you the most choices, like give you the most career choices and which ones are also well paid because like I couldn't depend on my mom at all or my dad. Like I had to be making money like right after I graduated was like what I thought. So I just looked up like which ones pay well as well. And like economics was one of them. And I was like, oh, I took an economics class. I did pretty well and I enjoyed it. So economics it is. And I started to major in economics. Yeah, no, I think that's the way a lot of people select their majors as they're going through things. And you know, as you were, you know, going through learning economics, getting closer to the end of completing college, you know, you started, you know, exploring different things. And so can you talk a little bit about that exploration period, your travels during that time, what you did in order to be able to save for that, like kind of like your financial situation, because that's a that's a situation that's very real for a lot of people. So can you kind of like unpack that? Yeah, cool. So I during my senior year, I decided that I wasn't ready to graduate Mm -hmm. because I had done a few internships and I was still not sure of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. I actually felt like I didn't have enough world experience to Mm -hmm. go out into the real world. I felt like I wasn't ready. 
So one thing that I really wanted to do was I wanted to learn how people lived and worked and like what they cared about in other parts of the world. And one place that really stuck out to me was Italy because mm -hmm. I had taken an Italian course and I was like, oh, I can go there and I can speak the language and I can meet people that are like completely different from me. And I love Italian food. Yeah. So I was like, I'll go to Italy and I have like my <laughs> eat, pray, love moment. <laughs> But like at the time, that was kind of unrealistic for me because I was like $5,000 in debt like credit card debt actually i had like already my student loan debt but i yeah. didn't count that as debt so yeah so i was like i don't know how this is gonna going to happen but yeah. i, I want to make it happen and i really like have you guys read the alchemist oh yeah Paolo yeah, Coelho. Yeah. yeah so i at the time i had read that book and i really believed in like the power of my thoughts yeah and i still do yeah um, great book So I was like, oh, like, I just need to work towards this and maybe like the universe will help me achieve yeah. my goal. And mm -hmm. it did. So I just started applying to programs. And as I was applying, I met a man mm -hmm. who like offered me a job bartending in yeah. New York. And like randomly, I'm like $5,000 in debt. I want to go to Italy. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And this man, like, I just meet this man and he's like, hey, do you want to be a bartender? Like, I'll give you a job. I like this really cool place in Manhattan, yeah. like downtown Manhattan that yeah. got a lot of traffic. And I was like, yeah, like, are you my fairy godmother or something? <laughs> and I think even at the time, I didn't know what an opportunity this was. Right. Yeah. Like I had to go. I was still at Binghamton. So yeah. I would have to travel like Monday to Thursday. I would be at Binghamton. And yeah. that was like four hours from the city. Yeah. And then I would take a bus thursday wow. to sunday to wow. be in the city and then i would go back up sunday night so yeah i like at the time i was like i know i can make this work because yeah. it's a weekend job but yeah. i didn't know like i had no formal training as a bartender yeah. you need a certificate in new yeah. york to yeah. like be a bartender but <laughs> yeah. he was like Were no you 21 <laughs> yeah i was 21 already yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and they taught you the game <laughs> yeah so he was like yeah just come in i'll train you yeah. like i'll have everyone else train you it's cool And I didn't understand why he yeah. was doing this for me. I yeah. didn't ask him for a job. He just offered it to me. Yeah. But that job allowed me to like save so much money. I yeah. saved like $20,000 for wow. my trip. Wow. That's amazing. In like four or five months or so, like four and a half months. That's huge. And before going into Italy and just talking about like your world travel, I know you said you were born in Washington Heights, but you also lived in the Dominican Republic as well, right? Yeah. So can you kind of describe, you know, the Dominican Republic and then like the contrast to Italy before you know, you, you, how, like that experience. Okay. <laughs> so the contrast between the Dominican Republic and Italy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in, in the Dominican Republic, like we had a house that yeah. it, it wasn't a nice house at all. We, yeah. it was in a random village, the random village that my mom grew up in. And we played outside. We played in the mud when it was raining. There were a lot of kids around. There weren't like any modern stores we yeah. had like house stores where you'd go to a place that looked like a house and you'd buy bread in the yeah. morning and like butter and actually we didn't even have fresh water wow. in the village yeah. so there would be a truck that would pass by every morning and i think it's still like this to this day because yeah. we actually don't have like running water in the house but a truck would pass by every morning with plantains which dominicans okay. are known Plata, for yeah. platanos <laughs> And they would pass by with water so yeah. they could fill up a tank for you or like a big jug or something so yeah. you could cook and wash yourself and yeah. do all these things. And then they'd also have fruit and stuff. So yeah. every morning we'd wait for the truck to come so we could eat and yeah. so we could shower and like cook. And yeah, I think for me, the Dominican Republic was a lot of fun as a kid yeah. because there were kids everywhere and there was freedom. Like I didn't have to ask anyone for permission to go anywhere. We had like tamarindo trees, yeah, yeah, tamarind yeah, trees, tamarindo. yeah. And and it was fun. Yeah. And then going to Washington Heights, I was really sad yeah. because I got there and it was like, I remember it was a really rainy day yeah. when I moved back and I just looked around and there were all these like concrete like buildings and yeah. it was gray and yeah. I was like, no, <laughs> take me back. Yeah. What was it? And then was it gray in Italy? No, actually. <laughs> I mean, Italy was completely different. Yeah. Did you feel like you found uh, like kind of that uh, eat, pray, love moment? Did you, did you feel like you kind of find yourself in Italy? Well, not in Italy, but I'm really glad that I spent a lot of time in Italy. Like I loved it. The people were amazing. It was a really beautiful country. And I was really exposed to a lot of different people that I hadn't been exposed to before through the program that I was doing, actually. So while I was there, I took 
a video production course, like okay. a, vid- a broadcast journalism course. And then I took a mindfulness course. Okay. And that's kind of how I became vegetarian and all this stuff. Interesting. <laughs> but it also made me more introspective. I think you also did teaching over there, right? Yeah. So I also taught like kids English. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So fast forward. Uh, so you're, you're in Italy now and you're still in college. And then something happens after that sparks your interest in coding. Can you unpack that moment for us? Yeah. So what happened was I, after Italy, I didn't want to leave Europe because I felt like I wasn't done. Like my time wasn't done. I hadn't really found myself. So I still wanted to go somewhere where I felt like everyone was completely different from me. And actually, the universe again gave me that. (laughs) So I went to Istanbul and I met some people there and I decided to spend some time there. And while I was there, I met two girls, the first two women that I have had ever met, actually, that were computer engineering majors or computer science majors. I don't remember exactly what their major was, but I remember they were just like, yeah, we're computer engineers. And they were like beautiful and they were like friendly and very outgoing. And I was like, oh, what what is it that you do? Like, I just got curious about what they were doing. And I knew then like I asked a few questions and I knew that they were coding. And then at the same time, I was seeing a ton of ads for like computer science, like learn to code, learn yeah. to code everywhere that I went online. It was like, you know, learn to code. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were a lot of like Code Academy uh, yeah. ads at the time and maybe like General Assembly. And then um, I just kind of became interested. I, yeah. I, again, back to the alchemist, I felt like they were like omens on yeah. my way. And my friend at the time had a business and he was like, oh, maybe you should build me a website because you're always on your computer and you're like really good at computers. <laughs> and so for, for context, like a lot of my friends there, they only use their computer for playing music. They didn't really use it to access like the web. Yeah. They only use their mobile phones. So the fact that I was always on my computer to him was like really impressive. He's like, <laughs> oh, you can do cool stuff. Like you're one of those people. And he's like, you should build me a website. And I was like, uh, I mean, I'm on my computer all the time, but yeah. I can't really do that. But at the same time, I was like, but if I wanted to, like, could I figure it out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you meet, you meet these women. They don't look like engineers. They're outgoing. But in addition to that, they know how to code. And um, it sounds like that was the aha moment for you. Can you take us uh, back and kind of describe how you felt? Did you know what you were going to do next? And what did, what did you end up doing next? Yeah. So like you said, yeah, I was really surprised by them being engineers because they didn't look or speak or act like what I thought an engineer mm-hmm. would speak or act or mm-hmm. look like, yeah. right? Based off of the media, what we see in the media. So when I met them, yeah, I was really shocked and I got really interested. I was like, oh, maybe I could do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So once my friend asked me to build a website for him, I was like oh, like, how would I go about doing this? And then I remembered all of the advertisements that I had already seen for learn how to code. Now that I knew like, oh, this is, they're coding. This is what they're doing. All right, cool. Let me try it. So I went on Code Academy Uh and I just signed up. And one of the first tracks was like HTML and CSS. And I just started doing it right away. And right when I started doing it, I made the connection between Code Academy and coding HTML and CSS and MySpace. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. We so, love MySpace. Yeah, I loved MySpace too. Like I spent a lot of time on MySpace and not even just connecting with people, but mm-hmm. trying to make my profile the best profile. Like if any <laughs> new tool came out, any new widget, it had mm-hmm. to be on my profile. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I had like a pretty decked out profile. I spent a lot of time on it and like I thought it was fun yeah. to do that kind mm-hmm. of work. So I was like, oh, this is what I used to do like all the time coding. Oh, cool. Wow. Like people have careers, like people made careers out of this. Yeah. So what actually happened with me was when Facebook came out, I was looking up how to customize my Facebook like I had done (laughs) on MySpace (laughs) and because I really wanted to do that, like I wanted to continue doing it, but um, I didn't like find that obviously because that's not an option and i kind of forgot about coding after that like Mm -hmm. about customizing things and creating things so when i made that connection i was like okay like it seems like i can make Mm -hmm. a career out of this and there are other programming languages and there are other things i can create so i can create 
like MySpace pages, but it looks like I can also create apps and like different things that people can use. And so I was like, okay, this is like, I've always loved like playing with techie things. And now I can like create these techie things if if I gain these skills. Yeah. Yeah. And then you ended up going back to New York and like just doing the traditional route or what, what happened after that? Yeah. So I went back to New York because I still hadn't finished my actual economics degree. I was missing one class, labor economics. Okay. okay. <laughs> I had put it off long enough, but it was actually my favorite class. Yeah. Is that um, like workforce development stuff? It's more like, how do you compensate people? I mean, how do you motivate people? Uh, stuff like that. Got it. Uh, so that it's fair and that people are like wanting to work for you. Yeah. yeah. We could unpack that later. That's important. Yeah. yeah. So it, that class was a lot of fun. But while I was taking that class, I started taking other coding classes online. Uh-huh. So I went on Udemy. I found the most popular teacher mm-hmm. with the most ratings. And I just signed up for his course. There was like a discount code. So it was like 10 bucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. We know about those codes. Yeah. I mean, they're always there, right? Yeah. I, I That's so funny that, that you say this. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of people in our community who are like, yeah, like I'm taking this Udemy course. They told me initially that I was it's a discount and it expi- expires uh, in like a week, but it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> but those courses are great. And great I remember I was yeah. taking those courses too. So people who are listening, definitely yeah. I mean, check out Udemy. For 10 bucks, you could literally teach yourself web development, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's I think amazing. the Udemy courses are really valuable because like you can go on YouTube and like learn to code, but like the Udemy courses are all like packaged. Yeah. Like it's a package like from beginning to yeah. end. How yeah. what do you need to download? What tools do you need? Like yeah. where do you start and like it progresses. Yeah. So if you find a really popular teacher, you'll probably find like a really good course yeah. that will teach you what you need to know. So yeah, I went back to finish my economics degree. There was no way I wasn't going to finish when yeah. I had like a class left, a, yeah. a semester left. So I went back and I finished it at the same time I was doing this stuff online, just like dabbling in it, not really super committed, just like, "Oh, I think I want to do this. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes." But I had this degree and like other things that I was also interested in. So when I graduated, I applied to some different jobs. And one of the jobs that I actually ended up taking was in public relations. Okay. And that job was awesome because it taught me a lot about like efficiency. Yeah. It really solidified the fact that I wanted to be in tech and in a fast moving industry that was like forward thinking. Yeah. Because a lot of the work that I was doing there, I felt, especially when I started learning how to code after that, I was like, there's a robot that could do this. Like there's a machine or like some script somewhere that can do this work. Why am I wasting hours of my life doing this work? Yeah. Like I I was really upset. It was like, can you give us an example (laughs) of what you're talking about? Yeah. So in the public relations and marketing world, a lot of how they make money and how they track their progress is by tracking impressions. Yeah. So just tracking like how many mentions you got online. So yeah. on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on websites. So yeah. every day you're like checking who mentioned that <laughs> product like, or company. Yeah. By hand, you actually like by, yeah. search, Google it or interesting. <laughs> yeah. So every day I was like on Google seeing the latest news and like the latest mentions. I had like Google alerts set up. And like a lot of people didn't even have Google alerts set up. So they were going in every morning and checking. And then we had to like, we would run campaigns and every, every campaign we'd have to go through every tweet, see how many people tweeted, retweeted that tweet. Interesting. Manually. Manually. It was like, yeah, it was so bad. But I think like I needed that job on my journey because it really taught me like, uh, like you, you can't have this kind yeah Yeah. you can't have these kinds of jobs like you're gonna be miserable and like and by that point i knew better like i knew enough to know that like i shouldn't nobody no human should be doing like this mind-numbing work (laughs) and so like while i was there i was also applying to the uh fellowship programs uh-huh. So I applied to two, I think, flat iron. What do you mean by fellowship yeah. programs, like boot camps? Yeah. So kind of like a boot camp. So my program, let's say, was 10 months long. Mm-hmm. It was nights and weekends. And they provided me with everything that I needed. I mm-hmm. didn't have to pay for anything. They provided me with a laptop, That's a amazing. phone. Yeah. yeah. And That's what the- is it called? Coalition for Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Access shout, shout, Code. Out, shout out to Juke, right? Yeah, Juke yeah. is awesome. Yeah, 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 He's good. like an amazing human being. Yeah. And he created this program. Actually, people might know it by a different name. I'm not allowed to say, but there's a different, okay. they're rebranding. Okay, okay, <laughs> but anyway, okay. look up Coalition Coming for soon. Queens. Look yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you were considering doing a coding bootcamp. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Like, yeah. 
I guess why, why you, did you consider yeah why that? did you consider it because you were already learning online as well you took a few courses like what was the motivation for actually doing a boot camp yeah so I think the main motivation was like I wanted to become a software engineer as quickly as possible so I was like okay like how am I going to get from point A where I am now to B like quickly and the other thing is I didn't really have a clear path that I was following to becoming a software engineer. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of learning things as I went, but I didn't know what skills I actually needed, what people were looking for, how I could become like a full blown software engineer. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of I wanted that guidance and I wanted like a people that I could turn to when mm -hmm. I got stuck yeah. because there were times I would get stuck and I'd go online to the forums and you can find the answers, but like really deeply understanding why the thing you yeah. did is wrong was where I got stuck mm -hmm. and like where I wanted to improve. So I started looking into uh, boot camps and fellowships because mm -hmm. they could provide that space for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And they could provide me with like the things that I mm -hmm. needed to get from point A to point totally, B. Quickly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So tell us more about, so you picked one, tell us why you picked Coalition for Queens and what was the format of the program? So Coalition for Queens, honestly, I remember I wasn't really excited about Coalition for Queens because it was a 10-month program. Yeah. And all the other boot camps were like three months, yeah. six months. Maybe six months was like a lot. It was like three to four months. Yeah. So I was like, wow, 10 months is going to take me that long. And it's yeah. part-time. Like if I did it full-time, I could just like dive in there and like get it done. Yeah. But like I remember I received a call from Coalition for Queens to interview and I went and still I wasn't like completely sold yeah. because of the 10 months. Yeah. I was like, that's a long time. That's like another year. Yeah. But I just, I kept going with it. So the format for like interviewing is you have to fill out an application and then they'll call you in. Yeah. And if they call you in, you come in for like a workshop where they teach you like HTML and CSS and you build a website yeah. and some JavaScript and you build a website but they're really trying to see like how you work with other people. So there are a bunch of people there. Yeah. And then, then you have like a logic kind of test question and they ask you what you've learned already on your own, how much you know, and like what your approach to learning is because they want to make sure that you're like, you know, you're like committed to learning and yeah. teaching yourself because there's a lot of that going on there and that you're really like, um, you really take initiative. So yeah, so that was the interview process. And then once you get there, uh, so what I did was I would wake up at 6 a.m. and I would go to work and then I would get to work around eight. I would stay there till like five. And then the C4Q program would start at seven. So then I would go to Queens and start my program for three hours from seven to 10. And then we had homework and stuff that we would do. And then I get home around like 12, 1230. And then I do it again the next day. And then on the weekends, we had full day, full days of classes. So I think the most valuable thing with Coalition for Queens is that they give you like this curriculum for you to follow. So we have like a private GitHub yep. and like all the lessons are there mm -hmm. and like everything that you have to do is there. We lost our teacher kind of like in the second, like 12 weeks in, I think. Wow. She's really awesome and she became a mentor to me, but she yeah. had to finish her CS degree herself. So she Got went it. back to school. Yeah. And we didn't have a teacher, but we had a curriculum, right? Yeah. So like mm -hmm. all we needed was the space, the yeah. tools and like the each curriculum. Other. We knew yeah. we had yeah. to. Yeah. And, and each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we could just ask each other questions and study together. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that was kind of like the setup. So you guys basically did like peer learning by doing it at the same time, sharing challenges, helping each other out. And that's how you got through the program. Yeah. I think you were also like teaching as well at the time, which goes back to the education thing that you kind of like were exposed to early on that also helped solidify the knowledge that you were getting. So can you kind of unpack what you were doing at the same time for kids? Yeah. So a few months into the program, this lady came in and she was looking for people to teach. Yeah. And I referred her to a few other people who I thought knew way more than me, because yeah. as you know, I'm in boot camps and like these kinds of programs, there's always someone that's been doing it for like way longer than you. And yeah. they're just like finally formalizing their education. So I, I referred her to a few people and then she was like, a few weeks later, she's like, why don't you just sign up? <laughs> yeah. Like, why can't you do it? And I was like, oh, I had never thought of it. And she's like, yeah, come interview. Like, I'm sure you'll get it. So <laughs> I like interviewed for it and, it. and it was basically to help her with her program, which is called CodeSpeak Labs. And yeah. what they do is they go into classes and they teach into schools like charter schools and private schools in New York, primarily around Chinatown area. Yeah. And they teach kids JavaScript, HTML and CSS starting, and then JavaScript, 
and then they go into like robotics and yeah. stuff and it was really it's a really amazing. cool opportunity yeah. yeah because like i felt like i knew my stuff but when you have to teach it to someone you yeah, really you have really, to know your stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then you have to figure out how to explain it to someone and mm -hmm. so like i think teaching solidified my experience and like my education and what i knew And it also helped me become a better engineer and better yeah. communicator. And, and were you doing this on top of your day job? Or at that point, did you already quit your job? And were you doing engineering full time? Yeah. So I, by that point, I had quit my job. Mm -hmm. Like when she gave me this opportunity, I quit yeah. my job yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I was like, oh, I can make enough. Yeah. And that yeah. was the beginning of your community work, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, after you're done with these different programs, you go into like a job search process. What was that like for you? Did you like choose certain companies that you want to work for did you attend certain events or like how did that go yeah so i started my job search before i graduated from my boot camp mm -hmm. or my fellowship program so i think i was it was like september so i was six months into my program mm -hmm. and i went to a tech job fair and i was really interested in like actually it started before that so first yeah. i'll talk about the time that i i tried to get an internship at venmo which okay. didn't really work out yeah. My first application ever that I ever sent was to Venmo. Yeah. I really wanted to work for them. I was using their tool and like I thought it would be a great first internship. It wasn't for people that were doing boot camps, but yeah. I applied anyway. Yeah, that's why not? right. But they actually like considered my application. They sent me a coding challenge mm -hmm. and I really wanted to prove that I knew my stuff. Yeah. So I submitted the coding challenge. And although I could have used different libraries to like parse data and for networking, I like built the networking layer myself and like <laughs> did all of the parsing manually. Makes <laughs> level. Yeah. And so like, I, I just wanted to prove to them that I mm -hmm. knew how to code. Yeah. I, I felt like there might be like some prejudices against me because I didn't yeah. have a CS degree. So I was yeah. like, oh, I just really want to show them. And then I submitted it and I got declined. Like yeah. they were like, oh no, it's not going to work out, whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm going to ask for feedback. Like yeah. I really need yeah. feedback mm -hmm. because it's my first time. Yep. And I emailed them and I was like, hey, like, I really want to hopefully reapply in the future. Can you please like tell me what, what went wrong and like yeah. how I can improve and yeah. be a stronger applicant next time? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, cool. We'll give you feedback. Just give us like a week. And they got some feedback. Mm -hmm. I got some feedback. And the feedback was that I did everything manually yeah. that I could have done with a library yeah. that was like, mm -hmm. you know, tried and tested technology yeah. that people all over the world were yeah. using already yeah. like why would i build it myself yeah, when there was technology that could already do it yeah let's unpack that a little bit because i think i mean was it an instinct for you to just ask for feedback or were you guided to ask for feedback and then the other thing is like i think it's interesting because like logically you know i think you followed the right logic that a lot of people do like i know on yeah. the gmat even like you have to like write out your math problems to prove that you don't need a calculator and stuff like that mm -hmm. so you technically were showing that you knew what you, what you were doing, but like, were these things instincts that you were taught by someone? I know the, the manual thing was, but was the, the asking for feedback an instinct or were you taught that? Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think it was an instinct. I think I learned that somewhere Yeah, <laughs> because I, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of weird to yeah. ask for feedback. I yeah. still like see people like get declined from jobs or have their applications declined and they don't know why and they never ask. And I'm like, go ask. Yeah. Like, you should know why you're not a strong applicant. It can be something that you never even thought of. Yeah. Like, that was the case for me. I think someone had mentioned asking for feedback, mm -hmm. not for this specific internship, but sometime in my life. Yeah. And then now I just always ask yeah. for feedback. And I think um, a lot of the time when you go in, into an interview, you can kind of predict how the outcome will play out. And, um, I think you did all the right things by trying to prove to them that you could do it manually. I think the fact that they rejected you probably shows that the process, the interviewing process is not perfect. Like it's other human beings who might have a year or two, maybe a little longer of experience grading it. And it's very biased too. So people who do get rejected, just like keep going like you did because uh, there's thousands of companies out there and you'll find your right one, which happened to you. So what did you do next and how did you approach your, the next company you interviewed with? Yeah, so actually it's funny that you mentioned that, that it's flawed, the process is flawed because I was like, I do know about those libraries. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, if I yeah. knew you wanted me to use them, yeah. I would have used yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, but I think <laughs> when I was interviewing for jobs, like certain companies would expect you to build things from scratch and they would actually penalize you for using libraries. Yep. And there are other companies that would expect you to use libraries and not build things from scratch. So I think 
since there's a huge variety of yeah. interview processes that are biased, it's always good to ask questions. When you receive a challenge or you are going on to an onsite interview, you should ask the recruiter, like, what do I need to know about this? Who am I going to be meeting with? Do I need to bring my own laptop? Like, how long is the pairing session? Just kind of try to find out as much information ahead of time. So then they can't kind of turn around and tell you, oh, like, we expect you to know to use this. When yeah. in reality, like, none of the instructions didn't say it, right? Yeah. 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 I always tell people that too. Like, just ask what's going to be on the interview. Like, what yeah. you should know. I always ask. Mm-hmm. And usually they'll send me like a one sheet. Mm-hmm. summary of like what's going to be there or at least like some topics that i should definitely know about yeah so those are really helpful i think you should always ask sorry what was your other question uh, the question was what did you do next and how did you approach your other interview oh yeah okay so for the next one i went to a job fair and i met this company they sounded really cool they had like this formal apprenticeship program it was like a contract to hire program and they seemed like really invested in like the growth of their employees. So, and it was paid, which was really okay. awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> Always awesome. Yeah. So it, the, the one thing that wasn't so great was that it was in Boston and I was really yeah, set on living so in New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was in the winter. So, mm, wow. yeah. Um, and yeah. But you got to make sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I. Yeah, I still live. have love for Boston. Though. <laughs> Boston is great, you know. Maybe in the summer, yeah. um, there's really good food there. A lot of Dominicans. Yeah, 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 a lot of Dominicans. But yeah, so that night, so I went to the job fair, and then I was like, "Oh, this company seems really cool." So that night, I went online and I applied, and I like wrote my cover letter and like you know just and I couldn't believe it. So many people from my class were there, but nobody applied. And they were all excited about the opportunity. And I just like went home and applied right away. I was like, no, they're going to get there first. Like I need to apply. Like I need to be considered because I thought everybody else was going to apply. But I was the only one that actually ended up going there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think people should just jump on opportunities when they come along. Like, don't wait. I've seen I've actually seen that happen with the Pinterest program, like Mm -hmm. the apprenticeship program. I'll send people an application. I'm like, dude, the application opened up, apply. And they wait like a week. And by that, then the program, like the application is closed yeah. because we have way too many people apply, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, they're like, oh, it's closed. I'm like, yeah, because yeah. like everybody else jumped on yeah. it and you were yeah. like waiting yeah. to be ready. Like, I don't think people should wait to be ready. They should just yeah. do the thing. Yeah. You got the opportunity in Boston. Yeah. So I got the opportunity in Boston. It was really amazing. But before I left my program in December, I learned about Pinterest. I learned that they were starting this apprenticeship program i didn't know much it wasn't on their website like it was kind of like word of mouth the person who started abby maldonado Mm -hmm. she um she had met juke okay (laughs) i like a networking thing and she was just like hey do you know anyone and he's like yeah i know plenty of people like i have a program that like Uh prepares people for these opportunities and um then he forwarded the, the opportunity to us and when i heard about that opportunity i was like this is for me. Yeah. Like I knew it was for me. Yeah. You can feel it. In yeah. Your like you the know, universe was telling yeah. you that. Yeah. Like yeah. I just knew it was for me. And like, I was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how many people are applying, but I know that I'm going to get this yeah. because like, I loved Pinterest. I had used it for so long and like the timing, I don't know. I just felt like I was going to get it, yeah. but I didn't hear from them until February. Oh wow. And like my, Actually, the the program that I accepted in Boston, some people told me to turn it down because yeah. it was like three months to yeah. hire, yeah. and like it there nothing was for certain, right? Yeah. But I was like, yeah, I think I'll get it. I think yeah. I'll be fine. And even if I don't get it, I think Pinterest will contact me by then. Yeah. Yeah. And like it just kind of felt Your like, gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the crazy part is, I was like, oh, I told someone, I was like, I don't think Pinterest will be ready before April uh-huh. because it just seems like. They haven't gotten everything together. They haven't contacted me. I sent them my cover letter. Like, I don't know. Something just told me, take this opportunity. In the meantime. Yeah, in the meantime. Yeah. And I went to Boston and I learned so much. Yeah. And I think like six to eight weeks into Boston, Pinterest called me. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, what? This is crazy. (laughs) Like, okay. Like, I knew it was going to happen. What are the things that you learned at the Boston internship that prepared you for the Pinterest internship that you would not have had if you didn't do it? Yeah. uh, Let's see. I didn't know how to navigate a code base Mm -hmm. before I went to Boston. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't know really about proper code formatting mm. and like how to structure things, proper like project architecture. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I, th I think there were a lot of things I didn't know. The things that helped me specifically were like we were working with this thing called Recycler View, which is just like a list view. And like before this program, I didn't really have to work with it that much. Yeah. But in the program, I built like a Recycler View like three times for different types of like displaying different types of data. Awesome. And when I came to Pinterest, the interview, I had to build a Recycler View. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So by that point, I, and, and, and then I had to like, you know, input some data that came from like a model that they had already created. And by that time, like I was a pro, like yeah. they were like, oh, you can use Google. And I was like, oh, no, I don't need this. to. Like, I got this. <laughs> like, I, I just did this three times. Flex. Yeah. Flex. So I kind of feel like, you know, everything worked out the way that it should have, because yeah. if I hadn't gone there, I think I would have struggled a bit more during yeah. that interview. But because I already had those skills, it was yeah. like, it was so yeah, easy. Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And a lot of people who struggle to get jobs, they think that their first job needs to be like a full time, uh, like nine to five, like 12 month contract or 12 month like salary but you can actually make it easier for the employer by even proposing to do a contract to hire because then it gives the employer the flexibility to evaluate you and it gives you the ability to also evaluate the employer so it looks like it turned out well in your case yeah yeah and then like i think the other thing that's important to touch on is that apprenticeships or internships aren't for sure that you're going to be full-time yeah so like what was it like during the apprenticeship were you nervous that you weren't going to get the full time or were you confident, just as confident that you were going to get the apprenticeship, that you were going to get the full time? And either one, like you still have to do things in order to get that. So how did you prepare for getting the full time offer? Yeah, I think so. When I accepted the Pinterest offer, I had two other offers. So I had an offer from the Intrepid Pursuit. And I had an offer from Handy. Do you know okay, Handy, yeah, no, Handy in New yeah, York? Yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back I, to the roots. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to work in New York. And uh -huh. like the Boston company said I could work from their small New York office. Yep. And then Handy was in New York. Okay. And then, so then I, I got the Pinterest offer. And it was like, oh, these two things are for sure. Yeah. Like full-time salaried employment. Yeah. Or I could go to Pinterest and take a chance. And I had actually heard one person speak tracy chow she was an engineer here and she was very oh like, yeah she's very vocal about like diversity and things like that yeah, right? yeah yeah so i saw her speak at harvard while i was at boston oh wow and she said that like the program was like the apprenticeship program something they were trying they didn't know mm -hmm. if it was going to work it was mm -hmm. kind of like a trial and i was like oh i'm i'm the guinea pig <laughs> so and by that time i had already gotten the offer i saw her like the saturday that i received the offer or Amazing. something and i was like okay like this isn't for sure but I'm going to go to Pinterest. Like, yep. like I have Play to go. Yeah. 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 I have to go to Pinterest. Actually, my mom was the person that really like pushed me to accept the offer. Cause Shout I was like, yeah. yeah, she was like super supportive. I had those other two offers and I was like, ma, like these are like good paying jobs. Yeah. Like I can be close to you. Blah, blah. And she's like, no, like you can't stay here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was like, you have to go because I remember how excited you were. Yeah. When you got the interview. Yeah, I'll say even just throughout the whole conversation, your energy is up the entire yeah. time you're still super excited which is dope yeah, yeah and when it comes to it's funny that you bring up your mom throughout this whole process what was mom like what was she telling you all along yeah my mom has always been like super supportive she's awesome she never knows what mm -hmm. i'm up to but she really trusts <laughs> that i'm doing the right thing i think all of our parents they're kind of like confused what <laughs> we do for tech yeah i mean even last year i think my mom thought i was working for jp morgan <laughs> she like told me and i was like no my like you have to come see where i work like it's yeah. so cool but yeah she's she's never really known like i i kind of just told her like oh yeah i'm gonna major in economics yeah, sounds good. Have you had anything to eat today? Like, yeah. have you drank water? Do you have enough water? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, my mom was the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, sends, she sends us packages of food still. <laughs> oh, that's really yeah. nice. She sends my brother food. But yeah. And then when I told her, like I, I had graduated and I was like, oh, I'm going to learn to code and like do this thing. She didn't know what code was. She knew it was something on the computer. And yeah. I had always spent a lot of time on the computer. So she was like, okay i'll just like you can live here and yeah. like i'll support you yeah. and cool like go for it she didn't know what i was doing like she just knew that i was out of the house all the time and i was working really hard yeah. and at times she was worried about me yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like are you eating yeah so at this point you've gone so far you got the apprenticeship you're going through it 
Can you share what you did to actually turn that apprenticeship into a full-time offer? Yeah. So we actually have like a template for conversion from apprenticeship to full-time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're assigned a mentor who's like there for your day-to-day, like help guide you and like maybe ask you to join her mm-hmm. projects. And then you have a manager who's really purpose is to make sure that you're on track to convert by one year. So it's a one-year mm-hmm. apprenticeship program. And there are multiple times when you can convert throughout the apprenticeship, but you have to like make sure you demonstrate certain things mm-hmm. to this board, unbiased like board of people who will review your work mm-hmm. and decide yeah. whether you get hired full-time. Oh. Yeah. So basically like you kind of know coming in what you have to do yeah. and like how and how long it will take you to yeah. get converted. Yeah. Oh, one thing I will say is like being an apprentice was really hard (laughs) because like I said, nothing is for sure. So you're like constantly working to prove yourself to others and to yourself. Yeah. And like, it's really tough, especially when you're the only person like in the beginning, I was like one of three people who were a part of this program who had this like very non-traditional tech background while everyone else had a CS degree and then on top of that, I like don't look like anyone else. Like yeah. out of all the engineers, I was like the only Latina yeah. that anyone that I knew knew of. Yeah. So yeah. like yeah. <laughs> for so long, I was like the only one. Yeah. And that that was really hard because I felt really different. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm a woman, I'm Latina yeah. and I come from a non-traditional tech background. Like I'm so different. And like I felt different yeah. and I felt like like there were some disadvantages. But little did I know. Most people didn't know that I was an apprentice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, awesome. that's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting thing to bring up things that we didn't know because coming into Pinterest, you know, Nana and Sydney from Eight Heroes that do the video, they were talking about how you're a celebrity, essentially. Like you doing all this work in the community. We were on stage with Eva Longoria doing things with like Tecnolo Chicas for your community work. So can you talk a little bit about that and your exposure in that world and how your video stuff with like was able to tie into what you're doing with Univision and in the community. Yeah. So I think I started getting interested in community work while I was doing access code. So we first, our app, our project was like, we built an app where people could buy and sell food from their neighbors within like a two mile radius. Awesome. So really we were, we built that app because we were trying to empower people that we knew mm-hmm. We didn't end up like investing a lot of time in it. We all went and got our jobs, but we all knew people who sold food from their homes to local businesses, like a mom, a stay-at-home mom or something. So we were like, oh, we can build an app where like people can like actually sell to people and find more customers and people who want home-cooked food can find home-cooked food. So that was like the first time where I was like, oh, I can do things for the community with like these skills. And then like I went to Boston and I did a Code for America hackathon Mm -hmm. and my project didn't win anything. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I did like two projects because I was like, oh, I want to learn how to code in Python. So I did two projects and then I actually met someone there who was working on providing resources for human trafficking victims. Oh, wow. And he really needed a prototype of his of like his idea of an app for people, for victims and for uh, organizations that wanted to help victims. And so. While I was in Boston working at that company, I was also like helping him bring his idea to life, me and my friends. So that was really cool because like, I think we helped him a lot. We we made him realize that like he could bring it into reality and we built some of it for him, yeah. but then he had to move on and yeah. <laughs> find like a formal team. Yeah. yeah. So that was really cool. And then when I got to San Francisco... I started getting involved in like teaching and mentoring and uh, I think my mentor, her name is Amy Kiespe. She realized that like I was into this stuff. So she was like, oh, there's this Technologicas campaign. Like you Uh should totally sign up. I like you. I think you'd be perfect for it. One of the requirements is that you're an engineer or yeah, actually an engineer. And the other requirement is that you're Latina and that you speak Spanish and English because they want to run these national campaigns for families that are primarily immigrants and Spanish speaking. Like my mom wouldn't understand the campaign if it was in English. So, yeah. So I applied and got in and it was pretty amazing because, yeah, yeah, I had all these cool opportunities to like be on TV and be on stage with Eva Longoria and like meet all these amazing people from like the Televisa Foundation and Univision. But I also got the opportunity to like go around the country and teach young girls how to code. And while that was really rewarding, I think the most rewarding thing was 
teaching their moms mm-hmm. and their parents yeah. about the opportunities in tech yeah. that they never knew about. Yeah. Like I would sit on stage and like answer all of their questions and just look out at their faces yeah. and you could see how shocked yeah. they were. Like they just had no idea yeah. about the opportunities that are in tech and like what that can mean for the future of their family. Yeah. Right. Cause I think you said like the average age of Sally's was like under 50,000. We don't have the exact stats now, yeah. but like to find out that you can go from like, you know, not even going to college and making six figures was a very big deal. And I think you even took it to another level, applying to other Latino initiatives to go to other countries around the world that you talked about. I think you just got back from Israel. Like what was, you know, that Latino initiative? Yeah. So this is another thing that a friend recommended me for. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Reality Adelante. Uh-huh. And it's a really cool opportunity. They take 50 Latino leaders from around the country, actually from around the world. Most wow. people didn't live in the U.S., and they take them to Israel to expose them to like what's going on in Israel, all of the conflicts in the region, mm-hmm. but really to show how Israelis and Jewish people have managed to thrive in a place of conflict and mm-hmm. not just thrive, but become like the startup nation. Yeah, <laughs> like they yeah. at one point they had more startups than any country in the eu wow, right I didn't know that. yeah like then many countries combined right yeah. so I think companies like Waze came out of israel yeah. yeah yeah so it's really cool to be in that space i learned a lot about a lot of things that i want to bring back here about organizational structure and hierarchy and yeah. like how people work together and i also met like really amazing people who are doing amazing work around the world yeah. to like help yeah. latinos and latino families yeah. and stuff that's really cool so you got the um, job yeah, so at this point in the podcast, uh, we do the lightning round and uh, we're recording at Pinterest and uh, there's conference rooms that are getting booked up. So we're going to do a super quick lightning round. Arthur and Ruben, take it away. Yeah, so this question takes us back to the basics. If you only had $100 and you had to break into tech and uh, you just moved to a new city, didn't know anyone, how would you spend that $100 to get yourself in tech? For me, the most important thing would be to have a laptop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'd probably buy like a Chromebook or like a used laptop or Mm -hmm. something. I would 100% need a laptop because that's where I would go to find all of the resources that I need. And then when I'm ready to apply to some jobs, obviously need a laptop to study and practice coding and then Mm -hmm. to submit things. So for sure, a laptop. (laughs) Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And speaking again about things that you may not have known Archer and Timor actually like merengue bachata and salsa dance. Oh, nice. So I know that that's big in Dominican culture. You know, is music something that's, you know, part of your day-to-day rhythm or routine or or does it help you push through or how do you think about your routine? Yeah, I'm very big on Latin music, reggaeton Uh and bachata and like not so much merengue, but like I, I love Latin music. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I don't know, like when I'm feeling different or feeling out of place if I play Latin music I just feel so proud oh, yeah. and I get energized yeah. and it reminds me of like how beautiful my culture is yeah yeah and um, the next question it's about giving advice to either your younger self or your sibling so to any podcast listener who's tuning in and who's excited they're inspired by your story but they uh, maybe are unsure or are trying to figure out what their next step should be what advice do you have for them yeah I feel like I say this to a lot of people, but because it's true and I really believe that you should just go for it. I really think that like a lot of people are discouraged by computer science and engineering because it's hard. And yeah, like it's difficult in the beginning. If if it wasn't difficult, like everyone would do it, right? If it was easy, everyone would do it. But like the hardest part is like getting started and then getting through that hump in the beginning. And then after that, it's not smooth sailing, but it's kind of smooth sailing compared to like what you had to do to get to that point. So for sure, I would say like, just do it, like just commit to it and go for it. And then the other thing that I would say that has been really important for me is to not compare myself to anyone, like not worry about how much anyone else knows or what their journey looked like or if they've been coding since they were eight years old. Like, don't worry about any of that. Mm -hmm. Just like focus on your journey and like on getting better each and every day. Don't think about anyone else. Don't compare yourself because if you compare yourself to others, like you will always lose because there's always someone that has more experience. Um, and more resources. Yeah. So for sure, I just say like, just dive in and focus and like, just focus on yourself and your growth. Yeah. And before closing out and, and sharing how people can stay in touch with you, you mentioned a book in addition to The Alchemist and the Pre-Chat. 
what was the name of that book? Um, I think it was like The Greatest Salesman. Yeah. Um, and like, why was it so important to you? The Greatest Salesman in the World. I was reading that while I was doing my program. And uh, there were times where I, I felt like I was never going to catch up to everyone that had way more experience than me, where I felt like the journey was going to be long and hard, <laughs> yeah. even though I saw that other people have become engineers in like a year or two. And I read that book and in the first scroll, it says that like not to worry about how much experience or knowledge other people in your industry have accumulated or in your world have accumulated because knowledge tends to expire. Yeah. And I think that really hit home for me, especially in tech Yeah. because yeah. things move so fast. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he could have been coding since he was eight, but like, does that language still exist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's real so though. True. Can you build Android apps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Android didn't exist when that yeah. kid guy was eight. So I think it's just like keeping that in mind that like, yes, people will have more experience than you, but how much of that experience is like super valuable and will make or break your career. Yeah. Not not yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, awesome. So what's the best way to stay in touch with you? I'm easy to find on Twitter at Maddie TV. So it's M-A-D-D-E-Y TV. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so thanks again for your time. And without further ado, let's, let's break, break in. in. Let's <laughs> break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.